So in uh, this period of time, we uh, used the period for study of the uh, suttas, and this one is number 26, it's the uh, Noble Search. As usual, I'll take uh, minutes to give the general uh, overview and tend to some of the uh, details in this. I'll make a reference to uh, Wimelow's article as uh, well. And in the initial period, I'll just go over the discourse uh, with, uh, with you. So, in this discourse, the Buddha is describing his uh, quest for enlightenment from the time he was a prince until he gave his first teachings in, uh, in Sarna. And just a little bit, a little bit about uh, the background um, to all of this, being his father being the leader, the head of the uh, uh, Sakyans, and Gautama uh, Siddhartha, having uh, got married, having just become a uh, father, found himself in. I think we could call some kind of emotional, psychological, spiritual, existential crisis and felt trapped, felt trapped by his roles, the future head of the Sakyans, king, the future king of the Sakyan people, trapped by his roles as a father, trapped by a role as a, a husband, and all the duties that would uh, accompany uh, all of that. And one can imagine in such a privileged position the uh, degree of unrest taking place of, inside of him and uh, internal conflict was probably quite enormous. And out of uh, this it said that there was a party in the uh, palace and during the um, time of the party, in the middle of the night, people were lying around, you know, drunk and snoring and stone, probably stoned out of their brain cells, uh, etc. And all of this acted as a further catalyst alongside the well-known and frequently described impact that it had on him when he really saw, for the first time, and I think this is in metaphorical language rather than physical, first time um, an old person, a sick person, a dying person, and uh, a wandering sadhu, a wandering sage. It's hard to imagine, even in the, in the exclusive and its, uh, narrow confines of uh, palace life and all the uh, uh, specifics, particulars that go with it, that he hadn't, with his eyes, hadn't seen such people before. But sometimes in life there is an impact that we're really seeing something for the first time. And perhaps you and I sometimes, we look to see people and they might be in their 80s or their 90s and 
this person that one time was young, straight back, pretty well lineless face, full of vibrancy and energy, etc. And we've maybe relatives seen family photographs, and the Zimmer frame is out. You know, we've all got this to look forward to if we get to this point. And uh, one really sees what aging is all about. Similarly, with uh, uh, with sickness, and and the, the, sometimes the horror of it. My uh, daughter working in the hospital. One of the uh, young nurses for the first time uh, working in the emergency ward and uh, a woman, not very old, dying of uh, cancer uh, that night in the ward and the young nurse, she's like 20, my daughter's age, 22 or 23 and the cancer, which was a stomach cancer, etc was coming out of the mouth in the night horrible black tar Cancer is coming out through uh, through through the through the night, and we're still. Why why should I seek for that, which is problematic, which is changing, which is unsatisfactory? Why should why should I seek for that? He then says, "This is a search which is ignoble, but the word is, which is not in accordance with Dharma." Let. The true search be the noble search, be the Aryan quest, be that which is unaging, undying, which is deathless, which is supreme. And let, if one's going to seek for anything in life, let's seek for that. And sometimes we forget and neglect this. We could be seeking to make more money, we could be seeking to have a good career, we could be seeking for a better home to have, or for a, uh, for a relationship, or seeking a partner to have uh, children, or whatever it might be. And we can put a lot of time, care and attention uh, into these priorities, and perhaps not give the same quality of time, care and attention to seeking uh, for that which uh, is, is supreme which um, Alexander referred to uh, during his talk today. So Siddhartha Gautama, unhappy, in conflict, full of doubt, definitely not the Buddha, split. And he went with Chana, his charioteer, to the edge of the uh, city and gave back the horse told Chanarati to return back with it to the palace. He said he cut off his uh, hair and then he started walking through the night and had fled. And in the commentaries, I don't think it's in the text, but I think in the commentaries there's rather a, a, a kind of sweet, almost nostalgic note. When, when Chana takes the horse to go back to the palace, the horse turns around slowly, looks at Siddhartha Gautama and has a tear in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> this is written a little later, I suspect. So, and then in this quest and in the search that took place, 
he finds two teachers. One is uh, Alara Kalama, and the other is uh, uh, Udika Ramaputta. <laughs> I learned the word Puta recently when uh, <laughs> he's doing some Pali study. And in the two experiences which took place, I think the significant thing is, and which is sometimes uh, is forgotten, and this is where the exploration of duality is important, that with the f- there was the uh, experience of uh, infinite nothingness. And sometimes there can be in uh, meditation, uh, in mystical uh, um, uh, various uh, mystical experiences can take place, and the world of things seems to temporarily lose all sense of uh, substance. They lose all sense of uh, uh, solidity in any way uh, whatsoever. And one is experiencing the sense of there is no thing really. So the, the perceptions are altered dramatically to the extent that the world of things just drops away. And therefore there's a, a sense of infinite no-thingness. And therefore the substantiality has dissolved, has broken up. All this, both mind and, and, and body. Then the consciousness, having experienced this, then finds itself back having to deal with the world of things again. And therefore there is a duality from profound and mystical experience, the infinite realm, to back into the finite, back into the world of things, back into the world of birth, aging, pain and death, which is synonymous with all things, sentient or insentient. So then he leaves Alara Kalama and then goes to see Udika Ramaputta, son of Rama. And in this meeting, more, more meditation, more exploration, more inner work, and so even the, the concept and the construct of a perception of no thing, even the perception is in doubt. Can one actually perceive anything really? And so the duality of perception or not perception is under question in the experience. And so there is no affirmation, it may be a little hard to follow this, but no affirmation of the consciousness perceiving. Therefore it's a realm in which one can't say there is perception, but one equally cannot say there is no perception. The mind cannot draw a conclusion about perception. Having experienced this, having understood this, then Utika says to the Buddha, please, you've really comprehended how things really are. It's not only a world of no things, but not even a perception can be relied upon to confirm it. Please stay. Please teach. 
please help to uh, spread these teachings which are profound, deep, mystical and a complete break from our normal conception is I perceive a world of real things and that's how reality really is but what held Siddhartha Gautama back from that was this problem of going into the experience having such an experience and then going back into the world and back into the reality of the world with the investments that go with it, the identification that goes with it and therefore birth, ageing, pain and death of all things sentient and insentient. He was caught in a duality and therefore there was still some unrest going on inside. The effect of that was he left. He didn't stay with Uddhika and began walking and ended up in dear old Sarana, which is about half an hour from, uh, must be an hour to walk really, good hour to walk, from uh, Varanasi. And Varanasi, remember, is the oldest town of pilgrimage on this planet. Three, four thousand years people have been making pilgrimage to uh, Varanasi. It has this consistent history because of Mother Ganga uh, of being a place of uh, pilgrimage thousands of years. So the sadhus were living, a number of them, outside in, uh, in a deer park in Saranath, uh, there, and then tried to engage in a whole range of practices to drop the whole idea of any identification whatsoever with anything. And therefore an attempt to burn up all manner of ego which in any way could confirm the world as substantial, as reality, to, to try to realize the Maya of existence, M-A-Y-A, Maya of existence. And so one has, both in the texts in this and elsewhere, description of this kind of struggle that was go, uh, going on, and felt that he had gone to some kind of extreme. And again, couldn't handle it, wasn't where he was focused, where the priority was, and then left and then made a 220-kilometer walk from Saranath to the Uruvela River, to the village of uh, Budgaya uh, there. And all of this is uh, uh, related. And then comes the description of the night of uh, in enlightenment. And one of the things which I feel is um, the significance of it for us as practitioners, which is quite often uh, uh, forgotten here, is two events. And both of them support and relate with each other. What I mean by that is, during the night, at the beginning period of the night, memory came. And the initial memory was of him when he was young, 11 or 12 years of age, whatever, with his father ploughing the field, which since he was royalty, would probably show, doesn't say for certain, 
that it was a ploughing uh, ceremony to initially launch the rice season. This, this has been done historically for centuries. And Siddhartha, sitting under a tree, in that time as a young person there, naturally entered into uh, what we refer to as the first uh, uh, jhana, which those who are staying around sure will all experience very happily during the next few days on, from Sunday. And asked himself, rather than suffering being the vehicle which he was using in Saranath to supreme liberation, could the vehicle for complete liberation be happiness? Buddhists, please note. <laughs> and could that be the way through happiness, through inner happiness? In that night of enlightenment, there was the realization, realization is, means making that which is true real, that as human beings, as a species, we are constantly concerned with the arising of problems and their resolution. This is the constant issue. And there was a realization <coughs> in the night that problems of life can be resolved once and for all. Jack Cornfield, please note. And <laughs> this shook him. It woke him up there. So the duality of going into deep happiness meditations, deep absorptions, mystical experiences, wonderful and beautiful, and coming out of them, just a change, does not necessarily mean coming out of them is to come back into a problem. There is still moving in profound experiences and moving out of profound experiences. Buddha himself, the Buddha, not, not Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha himself speaks frequently of moving in and out of different experiences. There's plenty of descriptions of those. But the world of problematic life tied up with a Nietzsche change, tied up with birth, ageing, pain and death, was over, finished. And therefore the duality of in problem, out of problem, was finished as well. Yeah. What I regard as important there in, in this um, uh, uh, realisation uh, is the, there is the, the seeing and the experience which is made clear from the journey of the night, shall we say, the course of the, of the night, and then immediately afterwards there was this period of some seven weeks in which he said he just spent in that location, at the, in and around uh, the tree, having opportunity to reflect and understand and be more clear about, shall we say, that experience of the night, what he'd experienced, what he'd realised. And I, having, over the years of course, with 
listening to many, 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 many uh, wonderful, wonderful experiences from people. Sometimes people are having very deep and profound experiences, which I'm listening to and finding the language that people do to, to describe them, but there may not be enough reflection and the uh, opportunity for deepening and for understanding taking place. I'm quite sure, for example, in listening to Alexander at, uh, uh, today, if in a few statements that were made something had such an impact, you know, it was lovely to hear, on him at the time, and he'd been in the monastery, and with all the support that, um, that can take place, there would have been more time and opportunity to reflect, meditate, dwell upon, look into uh, there. So there wouldn't have been quite such a day and night movement, because it wasn't the time to absorb one has a, a retreat, let's say important realizations come, clear seeings may come, discoveries may come, and then sometimes because of dependence arising circumstances, one is thrown back into daily life. No wonder the mind protests about it, because it's tasted of something and it's facing something else. Yeah. And it's a constant challenge that um, people have uh, uh, in, in, the, in the West. So then, therefore I do think it's important that with important experiences in our life, as with the Buddha, as a rather good role model here, there are the experiences, then there's the follow-up to the reflection, the understanding, the maturing of those experiences, so that which, as was referred to at midday today, that which is unshakable is clearly obvious and one has no doubt about it, which is the core feature of stream entry. Core feature of it, something which is unshakable despite the waves of change going on in the ocean of unshakability. That's the core, core realization. In Wimelow, in his um, article, the, he, there's this um, famous uh, uh, statement. The Buddha says, what is, I'll read it to you. Once the Buddha visited a uh, homeless one, Bhikkhu, who was very ill. When the monk said that he had long wished to see the Buddha, but he had been too weak to do so, the Buddha replied, never mind about that. I think all these celebrities should remember this. Never mind about, uh, never mind about that. What is there to be seen in this impure at it, the word is asupa, this uh, not, not beautiful body. What's there to be seen uh, in it? One who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dharma. Beautiful. And I'm going to even going to try and do it, put it into the Pali. Yo damang pasati, so mong pasati. Yomang Pasati so damang Pasati. One who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dharma. And 
The essence of that is, one who sees the truth is awakened, one who is awakened sees the truth. And this meeting is, is the, shall we call it, the freeing, the uh, liberating awareness of the discovery of the supreme, or the discovery of the unassailable, or the discovery of the unshakable, all that's the discovery. From that inquiry, or from that search and seeking, everything else, as it were, starts to, shall we call it, fall into place. And, as we heard today, doesn't mean to say that issues and problems of life are absolutely finished. And the Buddha, and the great wisdom of all of this, has acknowledged this, and that is reflected it, for stream enters, who then, having realized the unshakable, who know what it is, there, those who see the Dharma see the Buddha, those who see the Dharma see the awakening, those who are awakened see the Dharma, and still have areas to attend to. And one of the uh, lovely statements which I got reminded of from the talk at lunchtime is where the, the, the Buddha says, the noble ones, stream mantra onwards, cannot hide, he says, their faults. In other words, the inner life has become so open as a result of this brightness and clearness and spaciousness and freedom. If there are areas in the inner life which are neglected or uh, not attended to or unresolved or not understood or whatever, they cannot be hidden. They'll come out. In dreams included, as we were hearing today. <laughs> and that's because the process, the inner process, has woken up a great deal and the inner life is much more open and therefore much more can flow through than dreams or daily life activities. So issues and problems, of course, can arise. But the Buddha has put some measurement on this, which is very, very uh, important here. He says, one who is a stream enterer, who has woke up, but still with issues to attend to, cannot fall into the hell realm. <coughs> and in now, I think, contemporary language, hell realm is severe emotional, psychological disorder, disability. You know, we might use the uh, psychiatric terms of schizophrenic, or schizoid, or uh, uh, paranoia, or uh, um, um, mental depressions, or manic depression, etc. Still issues can arise, still in a life, personality features that require attention too, but not to the degree of falling into the hell realms, and that is those kind of states of mind for the person is often, of course, hellish for the person uh, there. Then, um, after this, again, the human, this is a, remember, now, according to the text, completely liberated human being who has woken up to the Dharma of life, who has realized the profound significance uh, of it and thought 
is still arising and one of the thoughts which uh, arose here and I think in a certain kind of way it's to me it confirms the human who is awake and the human who is awake says that to teach others he says this it would be very hard for them to understand and it would be wearying to teach it I'm sure a few teachers thought about this <laughs> it would be wearying to, uh, to teach it because as those of us have the privilege of uh, being poor servants of, uh, of the Dharma one can be teaching the, the Dharma in various uh, ways and not always do plenty of times people just shall we say don't get it <laughs> <laughs> what's so simple and so obvious which it summarized very simply is complete liberation through non-clinging no clinging no problem complete liberation that's all there is to it there is no other teaching all the rest is description and entertainment it's just about liberation through non-clinging that's all it's about and one thing why don't people understand this it's so simple so he felt you know, this is it's going to be wearying and then Sahampati comes to him Brahma you know, he's a, you know a kind godly person and pleads with him he says look there are famous one-liner people around with little dust in their eyes teach them there are people around there little dust in their eyes and from that walked back to uh, Saranath met with his friends and then rather ambitiously went off to the palace because he'd made a commitment to do so to see if he could get uh, his wife this is the ambitious part and his son who was now more than six years old to understand the teachings and some of the relatives and family and when he was walking towards the towards the palace Yashodara comes out with her six-year-old son not having seen him six years and said look that is your father go and claim your inheritance from him because in the Eastern tradition Indian tradition there's very important sentences to Indian Eastern tradition when you renounce become a sannyasin when you renounce you renounce two things you renounce your inheritance you give up your inheritance or you give up all rights to all ownership for the rest of your life and you give up all land rights this is, this is what the sannyasin have to do and the other is which is the inner life challenge you give up living in fear you make a vow not to live in fear yeah. so as soon as um, Siddhartha walking along go and, get you, go and claim your inheritance uh, so when people saw Siddhartha Gautama and listen to his teaching the word went round 
Oh, he is awake. He's woken up. And of course, gradually, gradually became the Buddha. But then, which, as you know, literally means to be awake, to uh, uh, wake up. So after these um, seven weeks under the uh, tree, he then went to Saranath and gave the teachings on the middle way, which is the first discourse of the Buddha. So this is in um, uh, uh, summary, and as he says, in liberation, one sits, walks, stands, and reclines without fear. Now that's something, isn't it? <laughs> one lives without fear. This is the closing part there of that discourse. Oh, fantastic. All right, I've done my bit. <laughs> More than done it. <laughs> So it's a great uh, uh, discourse, and there are many aspects uh, 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 of it, and it's a feel a very, very challenging one uh, as well, in many, many uh, respects, about, about what the search, the exploration for liberated life is all about how much priority it needs in our life and to really question if there are any ways that we get distracted by getting clinging and resubstantiating birth, aging, pain and death by clinging. So, any questions? Would, 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 you, Sorry. would you want to say something about the four jhanas and the four formless realms of experience that's mentioned here? Do I um, love to? The, um, from Sandy onward, the, the, they'll certainly come in, <laughs> but um, uh, a, little, a little bit, a little bit in relationship to uh, aspects. One of these, uh, it's a long theme I could talk upon here, with the jhanas, that means Deepening levels of uh, samadhi with happiness, and joy, and contentment is regarded by the Buddha as one of the important ways to resolve problems. Generally speaking, our view of resolving problems is to attend to the problem, either through therapy or through med vipassana meditation, or through communication with others, we have a problem, spiritual, emotional, so, and often we feel we can resolve it by really looking at it, by being aware of it, by going into it. And that's how we tend to deal with lots of things in, in life. For jhanas, point to a way of happiness and inner contentment uh, in our life which, because of its deepening work, is healing, is problem-resolving. And, as the Buddha says, the taste for this, means the jhanas here, and the for formless realm, means that we lose interest in greed, hate, uh, apathy, restlessness, anxiety, fears, doubts, and all these, all these problems. It is a vehicle for transformation. <coughs> So sometimes in the looking at our 
themselves and their ex uh, exploration, we may say, I'm unhappy, therefore I need to look into my unhappiness. That might be the valid thing. What makes me unhappy? Why am I happy? Or do I look to see what brings the happiness out of me? What can I cultivate to show the happiness? I don't actually look at my unhappiness. I actually consciously take much more notice of what's contributing to my feeling of happy. What's made me happy today, what's made me happy. And when cultivates that, bringing samadhi in will bring that to a, a depth which is of, uh, of, of jhanic uh, uh, level. And that, that applies through these. So when the Buddha speaks of these factors of enlightenment, all of them have a very healthy element to them of awareness and inquiry and joy and, and happiness and samadhi and evenness of mind and energy. They're all beautiful things to cultivate and, and uh, develop. Uh, sometimes, it, what we forget as, forget as well is we often think of transformation just as the kind of transforming of the personality or the uh, consciousness in some way or other. But I think genu genuinely transformation really can really be running through the whole body from head to toes, the whole cellular life. There's an energetic vibrational sense of uh, uh, being awake. And it's not a kind of uh, response to some inner state of consciousness, it's more significant than that. And those of us, you know, with the uh, retreats as one uh, exa example, to see some people at the end of the retreat genuinely look very bright in eyes and complexion and presence and manner, and, uh, and there's uh, all factors of awakening uh, are, sh are showing themselves in the brightness and energetic enthusiasm sense of their presence uh, around. And, and I think some of that might have got communicated um, immediately after the Enlightenment. And, uh, and the Buddha, with supreme confidence, makes this uh, famous statement, I'm awake, I go to Kashai city to beat the drum of deathlessness to those hopeless cases in Sarah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> That's a nice, it's a nice, it's a nice, nice piece. You know, I'm sure he said it with great modesty, but, but we weren't there. <laughs> there are uh, two, two verses, uh, 19 yeah. and 21. Um, 19. When 19 and 21. Um, this is when he described when he when he found this uh, liberation. Yeah. And then uh, he's thinking about shall I teach or shall I not yes, teach? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, it's mentioned somewhere that he thinks uh, it, that that is trouble troublesome for him. Yes. Yeah. Boring and troublesome for me could be. Yeah. If he wouldn't teach, so I wonder what he means by that. I mean, if he's enlightened, what could be boring and troublesome? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I saw that and uh, uh, had a slight uh, um, raising of the uh, raising of the uh, eyebrow. With, with the with the uh, uh, words, and, and he says, you know, he's, he's liberated. It's unshakable. 
there's no more ego becoming this and that. All of these rather uh, uh, strong uh, uh, statements. And then this famous line that um, these teachings are subtle, uh, deep, and uh, difficult to see, all of which, of course, is, uh, uh, is true. And then, where, where is it? Um, which, which, which number is it? He says, oh yeah, here we go. 19 and If I were to teach the Dharma to others, others would not understand me, and that would be weary, wearying and troublesome for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can sympathize with that. <laughs> so, I don't think... Um, well, you know, I can't read the guy's mind. But <laughs> uh, well, I'll try. Um, I don't think in itself it shows dukkha in itself. I, I, you know, I always take the most sympathetic view with these, uh, with, with what is what is said. But that there is a perception arise, arises, born out of memory. Mm. This could be tiring uh, to do, because people won't understand. It's difficult. It's subtle. Uh, etc. And I think it is the case that sometimes whoever we are we do need some encouragement. And this Sahampati comes along, Brahman gives some encouragement and just needs that extra to, to follow it through. And I think that's all part of of that, I don't think it's any way a comment on um, the realization or a comment on uh, uh, enlightenment. I just think he had a normal human thought to, to go and have to give the rest of his life to teaching, and will people really, un really un understand this is so deep and uh, etc. And I think it was just normal kind of doubt. Later on in the sutta, yeah. Excuse me. Later yes, on in the sutta, he revises this statement. Ah, page two six two in the verse. Yeah. Uh, after he has decided to yeah. teach, thinking it would be troublesome for Brahma, yeah. I did not speak to Dharma, subtle and sublime. Yeah, the verse on the page of two six two. Would you say Twenty one. Yeah. Open for them are the doors to the deathless. Let those with ears now show their faith. Thinking it would be troublesome, O Brahma, I did not speak the Dharma subtle and sublime. And Bhikkhu Bodhi comments it yeah. in an annotation that it was a device of the Buddha because he already was decided to teach the Dharma, mm. but in his mind he brought up that state of doubt in order to attract the attention of Brahma because then later on he could also, with his teachings, he could also capture the attention of those who are more inclined, the Hindus, yeah. who are more inclined to the to, to Brahma. Right. And, then, and then he could argue, okay, Brahma even encouraged me to teach. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Very nice. Well, that's a lovely interpretation. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, Stephen Batchelor uh, yes. comment about this, uh, and he said that Bra Brahma Sampati is, is the god of uh, form, 
perform. Uh, and he said that it's all, it has something to do with <coughs> coming from the formlessness yeah. of his experience yes. to the teaching, which is putting it into, into form. form. And that's uh, another nice the, yes. yeah. He also had to be encouraged yes. to, to do it. To, to move from formlessness. Oh yes, form. yeah, yeah. Very good point. Yep, yep. So there we are. now we have three good, interesting interpretations. Of Maybe it could be nice to just l let him be just human also. But that's I, I like that you one. Know, just but human, you know, like imagine people are just totally ignorant and, and, and walking around be believing in all kinds of gods and I yes. don't know what, and then you want to talk to them about this. I mean, it's really weird, you know, even if you're yes, <laughs> the Buddha, maybe. Yes, yes. Sorry, yes, Eva. Um, what comes to my mind is that in the Tibetan teachings, yeah. usually he said, um, or at least in Dzogchen teachings, um, that when this um, beyond is experienced, mm -hmm. that naturally compassion arises, mm -hmm. and he said the desire to liberate yes. beings. Which I do not really see here. See here. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, all, all one could say in this case that, despite the th could say despite the thought, or despite uh, a reservation, or despite a doubt, it didn't have the strength to stop. 45 years of non-stop teaching until he died. So, I think I'm back to the point that Carly and I are making, it, it, that there can be some hesitation there. If it had blocked it off, you know, he did not, uh, uh, etc. And so some story had arose through history, or could have been blocked it off. Then, I would have felt somewhat uncomfortable with it. But uh, it seems to be a short-lived moment or two, you know, whatever, of some doubt. And I don't recall anywhere else in the text where it arose again. I think it's the only place where he speaks of being worrisome <coughs> and troublesome, or the potentially being worrisome. There is in, in 21, uh, they said after the, um, uh, he was encouraged to, to uh, teach, then um, he was listening to the drama and then the, uh, it was um, compassion, compassion arise. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he could see the world with the eyes of a Buddha. It was uh, just a moment of yeah. not of uh, being in humanity and not see, seeing the uh, world with the eyes of a Buddha. <laughs> I, I gave a talk in, uh, a few months ago on the retreat. So the, I addressed the, the night of the tree in the talk and I carried with it um, a question which I wanted the group to look at with themselves and to those who wanted to uh, report or reflect back with myself. And the question that I um, asked 
was uh, bold to catch, capture the attention. How do you know you're not enlightened already? And I think it's not, it's not an original question, it's been going on for a long time in the tradition. What I had in mind, and what I asked the group, as I said, 90 people on this uh, retreat, was what's been the most important, profound, deep, subtle, mystical, whatever, experience that, or experiences that you've ever had in your life? Are you sure that all the understanding which can come out of them has actually come to you? Because, but it makes it quite clear here, having experiences, it's the yana, means the knowing, <coughs> of the significance of the and its real relevance. Yana, vasava, buta, dasana. Which is the uh, seeing of experiences, and the insights, the knowledge, the understanding which comes out of it. Because the experience is going to fade away, no matter who has it, as we know. But their understanding. So, my uh, question in the talk to the group was please, doesn't matter when it was, find and create some time while you're on retreat to reflect on the most important experiences that you have had. So, like the Buddha, the night of the under the tree. That was, that was the experiences were going on, shall we say, with that. And re you remember what those experiences or experience was and engage in some reflection, as the Buddha did for seven weeks, deepening his whole understanding there. And therefore this relationship of experience to reflection um, matters a great deal. And I think sometimes some people have a dismissive attitude, Buddhistically trained towards experiences. Oh, all experiences just come and go. It's just another experience, let it go. Oh, foolish. Foolishness. Uh, some experiences are important, are profound, and there's a lot more that can be discovered and realized uh, out, out of them. And some experiences, even if it happened five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, still, the passage of time is very, very short. That means there may still be real opportunity for lots more insight and understanding to come out. Engage in some reflection, as the Buddha did for seven weeks, deepening his whole understanding there. And therefore this relationship of experience to reflection um, matters a great deal. And I think sometimes some people have a dismissive attitude, buddhistically trained towards experiences. Oh, all experiences just come and go. It's just another experience. Let it go. Oh, foolish. Foolishness. Uh, some experiences are important, are profound. And there's a lot more that can be discovered and realized uh, out, out of them. And some experiences, even if it happened five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, still, the passage of time is very, very short. That means there may still be real opportunity, lots more insight and understanding to come out uh, from 
uh, from them and therefore have a real application uh, to, to, our, to our daily life. And this experience reflection, experience exploration is pretty important uh, uh, feature. So um, with the uh, small group, it could be used in the two directions. One, the most valuable I feel, would be some uh, uh, sharing of important experiences uh, uh, in your life. And if you say, as I asked this uh, retreatant a few months ago, if you say, well, I've never had a deep experience or an important experience in my entire life, then you should be asking yourself, why haven't I? What the hell have I been doing with my life? <laughs> what am I, where am, why am I so lost in things, uh, etc. And if one's had important and valuable experiences in one's life, you may, if you wish, uh, like to uh, share some of, some of them. And then in the spirit of the, the Noble Search, why were they important? What was the understanding that came out of them? What were the insights? Why did they matter to you, uh, etc. And that would be one aspect with the small group. And the second aspect would be uh, any reference to Hight on uh, the discourse uh, uh, itself and any inner responses uh, that you had. Because so with the discourses, one human being's experience, in this case Siddhartha Gautama, can help to, uh, as he says here, to instruct um, and inform and point the way to direct knowledge for ourselves. This is one person's account, okay, it's interesting. What's our account? Can this account in this particular discourse help open things up, help us to come to a greater understanding? And then we're here for un understanding, we're uh, not here as historians.